scripture reading from today comes from Acts 15, verses 22 through 35. Acts 15, 22 through 35. And the scripture reads, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, Although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep from yourselves, if you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Amen. Well, over the last few weeks, uh, last four weeks, I do believe we've taken a slight detour from uh, our time in Acts as we've been going through Acts for quite a while now during the holiday season, but uh, as God would have it, we are back in uh, the book of Acts, looking at the Acts of Holy Spirit and the growth and the expansion of the early church. This morning, we pick up where we left off, Acts 15, verse 20. Two, we look here at a letter that was sent from the Jerusalem council to the brothers and sisters in Antioch and beyond. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon us this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for the privilege and opportunity of being here in this place. Indeed, for for the blessings of of singing the songs of Zion and praying the prayers of of faith. Indeed, the blessing of having your word read and in our hearing. We thank you for the privilege and and blessing of of being able to participate in setting apart our, our brother for service. And the blessing that he and his family have been and continue to be to East Point Church. We do thank you. We honor you. 
We worship you this morning. Come now by your spirit. Open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds. We can behold the glories of Christ from your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was reading this passage of Scripture and meditating on it, in particular the letter that was written from the Jerusalem Council, it brought to mind the year of 1776. June, in fact, where the Continental Congress of the American Colonies met in Philadelphia to discuss. You remember this from history class, right, Lee? to discuss their plans for separation from England and King George. And they decided that they would write, they would write a formal declaration, a formal document declaring their independence. As they discussed these issues into the wee hours of the night, the primary responsibility and assignment for drafting this letter fell upon this young man from Virginia named Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson, being set apart, went and he wrote down the words that have now come down to us through history as the defining document of the American Revolution, the Declaration of Independence. Jefferson wrote those immortal words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator, with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These words became the anthem of the American Revolution. They became the battle cry of freedom. It was written by Thomas Jefferson. It was endorsed, as we know, by all. What we have in Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 22, it's not a declaration of independence, but it is a declaration. It's not a declaration of independence, but as I read it, I'm thinking that it's a declaration of integration. It is a declaration that henceforth the church must no longer be divided upon ethnic and racial lines. It's a declaration, really, of integration. And as important as the Declaration of Independence is to our country, this letter I would submit to you, this Declaration of Integration, is even more so to the church. This was an important letter. It was a very significant declaration. It was an important point that was being made by the church and its leadership. 
So you might recall, as we saw last time we were in this text at the beginning of of Acts chapter 15, that there arose a huge theological debate and dispute over the nature of salvation, particularly as the Gentiles were beginning to come into the church and and be significant numbers in the church. The church primarily at its onset was Jewish. But as the gospel spread, it became apparent that more and more Gentiles were going to enter the church to the point where the Gentiles would begin to outnumber the Jews. And there arose the question, well, who can really be saved? And if the Gentiles can't be saved, then... How does salvation come about for them? You might recall, we won't rehearse all that we talked about last time, but it was no small matter. It was so important, you remember, that the church called for a conference. The church called for an assembly of the elders and the leaders of the church to to meet in Jerusalem for what has become known as the Jerusalem Council. There was much discussion. There was much debate, and after that debate and after that discussion, and in particular, after the powerful and spirit-filled remarks of Peter and James, the matter was settled. Salvation was by faith for both Jew and Gentile, and they both received salvation the same. Now, to communicate this truth, this is what happened in Jerusalem. To communicate this truth to the saints in Antioch and in Syria and in Cilicia and into all the other parts of Galatia, the council determined that they would compose a letter. They had to compose a letter because there was no email. You couldn't post it on a blog. You couldn't post it on Facebook. You couldn't even give it to the postman. This letter had to be carried by hand. And therefore, Paul and Barnabas, along with Barsabbas and Silas, were commissioned to bring the good news. The good news on the results of the Jerusalem council that was good news for all those in Jerusalem and would be good news for all the brothers and sisters in Antioch and beyond. This letter was important. It was probably written by James, but it was endorsed by all. And it was a declaration. It was a formal declaration, beloved, of integration. That the church would be one. To examine this letter, there's three important elements of the letter that I want you to see. Three important points, highlights, I think the letter is making. 
And these important elements have implication for us as we continue to live in light of this declaration of integration. Isn't it interesting that Thomas Jefferson and those men gathered in Philadelphia wrote the Declaration of Independence, and yet America is still seeking, trying to live out the implications of that declaration. And she has not always lived up to that declaration, but whenever she has, and she has always been drawn back to what you said on paper. Well, this is true to hear. You will see that as Paul goes out again and again, they will make mention again and again of what was said at the Jerusalem Council. We need to be reminded of it today. We need, to pronounce, we need to be reminded that at the Jerusalem Council and in this letter, there was a pronouncement of unity. There was a denouncement of error. And there was encouragement for all. Pronouncement of unity. You see that in verse 23. For now, it was to be recognized that the Jews and the Gentiles were brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice the letter begins with a greeting. From the brothers who are Jews in Jerusalem, from the brothers to the brothers who are Gentiles in Antioch, and Syria, and Cilicia. This is marvelous. This is wonderful. I think it's intentional in how this letter begins. Because, beloved, you do understand that the Jews usually addressed other Jews as brothers. Jews only addressed Jews as brothers. And they did so because of their common heritage. They did so because of their shared experiences. They did so because of their shared father, Abraham. All Jews were brothers. You know, just like black people. All black guys are brothers. Don't know where that came from. But somehow, some way, when you're dressing another black guy, you say, hey, what's up, brother? Don't they see them brothers over there? Somehow, some way, all black guys are brothers in America. And yet here, here in this declaration, the brotherhood is not in Abraham. The brotherhood is in Christ. This is remarkable. This is a watershed announcement to the Jews who are in the church and are in Christ as they begin to look at those Gentile brothers and sisters as Christ is calling them into his kingdom. Because we need to understand that the divide in that day between Jew and Gentile is greater and was greater than anything we see today. Anything, beloved. 
And the testimony of the power of the gospel was this, that Jew and Gentile now ate together. That Jew and Gentile now worship together. That Jew and Gentile even dared to live together. Unlike the temple, unlike the temple in the church, there was going to be no court of the Gentiles. In the church, there was not going to be this Jewish section and the Gentile section. In the church, there were not going to be signs that read white only and colored only. In the church, beloved, black people were not supposed to be sitting in the balcony while white people sat down on the floor. Now, that may be the testimony of the sinful and checkered past of the church in America, but it's not the testimony of the Bible. It's not the testimony of the gospel. And it's not the testimony of this declaration of integration. But on the contrary, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, For through him, Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access into one spirit, To the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and foreigners and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. All, call those who have access by one spirit to the Father are now members of the same household of God. In other words... Your brothers and sisters are not necessarily those walking around this world looking like you. Your brothers and sisters are not those who have your same shared necessary experiences, liking the same food and the same songs and the same people that you like. But your brothers and sisters are all those who have trusted in Christ, who are members of his household, regardless of their former experiences, regardless of their ethnicity, race, and background, and culture. And you say, well, I don't like that. That's too bad. You take it up with the father of the house. One of my children come up to me and say, Dad, you know, I really don't like him being my brother. I don't like her being my sister. I said, well, good for you, but I didn't ask your opinion about it. (laughs) God didn't ask your opinion on who your brothers and sisters would be. You often hear, and perhaps we've said it, that blood is thicker than water. Beloved, this is not true when those waters are the waters of baptism. Your baptized brothers and sisters are more so brothers and sisters than your blood brothers and sisters if they are not in Christ. That's not the preacher talking. That comes from Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, when Jesus 
when Jesus' earthly mother and brothers come looking for him, they come looking for him and they say, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. They need to speak with you. And Jesus says, ha, my mother and my brothers are those who do the will of my father. All black people are not my brother. I know that may be news to some of y'all. But I have to catch myself every now and then. My brothers and my sisters are members of the household of God who do the will of the Father. And here, we, we see, don't we, that unity, this pronouncement of unity is not about ethnicity. This pronouncement of unity is about the pronouncement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See how important this document is, friends? It was a pronouncement of unity. For the first time, Jews and Gentiles would be one. What makes the church, it should be what sets the church apart from the world. It's not about ethnic and racial and color lines. It's about Jesus. It's about Christ. Secondly, you not only see this pronouncement of unity, you see the denouncement of Aaron. Pharisees, see in verse 24, these Pharisaical brothers were denounced by this council as troublemakers. They were denounced as wrong. Notice what it says. They write this letter. They say, since we heard that some persons speaking concerning those Pharisaical brothers in chapter 15, verse 5, from the family of the Pharisees, it says, those brothers. Some persons have gone out from us and troubled you in words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. These were the ones were the source of all the confusion. For you see, they had gone from Jerusalem. They had gone out into Antioch and to other parts and began to teach and to preach false and even damnable distortions of the doctrines of grace. Some persons, they refer to them here as, but as I said before, in, in verse 5 of this chapter, they're called the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. These were those Jews who had become Christians, but were still trying to live in accordance to the Jewish customs. And not only did they believe they need to do that, but here becomes the Seriousness of the error is that they believe all others must do so as well. 
because you remember, right? It is not enough for legalists that he or she live in bondage, but the legalist wants to make sure that he brings others into bondage as well because misery loves company. We all do it, so you just say amen. Notice how the council addresses them, calls them troublemakers. Because they were troubling with their words. Says they were unsettling the minds. In, in other words, they were being subversive. They were, as the King James says, subverting souls. Distressing hearts and minds. And here's the interesting thing, beloved, is that they had no authority to do so. They had no word from God, and then they had had no instructions from the church. That's how legalists really work. You do understand when you strip them away, you realize there's no Bible holding them up. It's just their opinion. They have no authority backing them up. Just what they think should be right. Just what they prefer for you to do. If you're going to be in fellowship with them. See how the early church and apostles and elders and leaders addressed it? We may find it difficult for Christians to call other so-called Christians these things. But the Bible does not shy away from calling out critical error and those who teach it. Notice that they call them troublemakers. They called them subversive. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 29, they are called fierce wolves. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 2, they are called dogs and evildoers. I know, I know, I know, I know. Our modern sensibilities often not often uncomfortable, and we find it hard to refer to other so-called Christians in those terms. I get it. And it's hard to hear such language about others. But, beloved, when the critical issues are at stake, the gospel, who Christ is, what Christ has done, Making clear distinctions and calling a spade a spade is of utmost importance. This is why the council did it. This is why Paul did it. Many of us have friends and family members sitting in erroneous churches under erroneous teaching, and we won't say a thing about it because we don't want to come off as mean and judgmental. I understand, and let me be clear. We want to be charitable at all times. We want to make sure that our language is 
seasoned with the salt of grace and love. But at the same time, we want to be clear, beloved, that there are fierce wolves out there, that there are dogs out there, that there are evil workers and doers out there deceiving and leading people astray. And it is our charge as faithful Christians, brothers and sisters, that we do as Paul did in Acts chapter 20 and fail not to warn them. Eternal life is at stake. These brothers here in Jerusalem took up the charge and said they are troublemakers. They are subversive. They have no authority. And we have denounced them. As a result of this, believe it or not, you know what happened? Contrary to our own sensibilities, we might think that would create a problem. But you know what it did? It brought encouragement to all. It brought encouragement to all. See that in verse 25, it follows, he says, and it seemed good to us. In other words, we thought it good having come to one accord on this matter. This was a good thing. In light of the pronouncement of unity, in light of the denouncement of error, we thought to sin encouragement that all is well. All is well here in Jerusalem. All is well with you. In other words, beloved, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's the declaration. We're going to stand on it. We're going to continue to preach it and we send it to you. And it's good. It's good. The message of the council was a good one, beloved, because it brought encouragement. It was a good one because this is what the gospel does. Because the gospel is good. You notice the overall tenor of the text this morning? It's a good thing. I like how the ESV states it. It seemed good. Seemed good to us. The KJV says, it pleased us. It was good and pleasing to the brothers to write this letter. It was good and pleasing because these brothers were together on what is the most important issue. They were together for the gospel. They were together for the gospel. And when you're together for the gospel, you realize that the gospel is good news. It's good news. That's why it's all good. 
you reading in the ESV. It's amazing how many times translators ESV said, and it was good. It was good. It seemed good to us that we would do this. It seemed good to us to have come to one accord. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit to address these issues with you. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. There was not just unity, beloved, but they were unanimous in their pronouncement. Unanimous in their denouncement. This was important. Now they were all on one accord because this is what the Holy Spirit does. He creates unity. He creates unity. And it is a good thing. It was good, and we see it was good because it was encouraging. The brothers in Jerusalem were encouraged. The brothers in Antioch were encouraged. Barsabbas and Silas were encouraged, and they were teaching and preaching. Paul and Barnabas were encouraged as they continued to preach and teach the good news of the gospel because it was all good. You know why it's good? Because the Bible says it would be good. Psalm chapter, in Psalm 133 and verse 1, it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's a good thing. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And it's all good. And you do understand, beloved, that all over the world today, God's people are meeting in various places, at various times, singing various songs with various instruments in various languages, and yet all the faithful are still proclaiming the same truth, that Jesus is Lord, and there is no salvation apart from faith in him. And beloved, I understand as well as you do that there are a number of differences between God's people this morning. Variety of differences between God's people this morning. There are differing denominations. There are differing forms and styles of, of music. There are differing churches. There are differing church buildings. There are differing approaches to leadership within the church. And some of these differences are very important, and I, for one, do not make light of them. But when you peel back all the peripheral issues, when you get to the core and the heart of the matter in the true church, beloved, there is no difference. There's no difference between East Point Church and Berean and Baraka and Faith Bible. There's no difference between us and Blueprint and Renovation and Perimeter Church. When you peel back all of our peripheral preferences, what you have is Jesus. And Jesus alone. And Jesus only. Because the priority here at East Point Church, I guarantee you, 
is the priority, the, the priority at those places too. And that is preaching Christ and him crucified. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He makes us one. He makes us one. This is the importance of this letter. Remind us. There's a lot of peripheral issues about which we can agree and disagree. But the point of the matter is when you peel it all away, do you have Jesus? Do you have the gospel of Jesus Christ? Most of us, we strongly believe in our personal opinions and preferences. We all have them. We all have them. And I submit to you this morning that the sooner you get over yours and you get over yourself, the more you will see how good it is when brothers truly dwell together in unity. We all got our personal preferences and opinions. I prefer to have wine and not grape juice at communion. Some of you believe that you lose your salvation if, if wine and alcohol ever touched your lips. I can live with that. I believe the church sings best when it sings together as a congregation. But some of you want to hear choirs. Some of you want to hear those that God has truly gifted with singing. I can live with that. I believe that tattoos are a waste of time and money. (laughs) Just can't understand that. But some of you really believe that they are an artful expression of your affections for God and for others. I can live with that. But beloved, I can live with a lot of things, a lot of views, and a lot of opinions in the church and in the Christian life. But there are some things that I just can't live with. I can't live with, I can't live with those things that trouble not my preferences, but they trouble my priority, which is the proclamation of Christ and him crucified. I can't live with that. I can't live with you making more of yourself than you make of Jesus. I can't live with that. I can't live with us making more of our opinions than we make of Jesus. I'm not going to live with that. I can't live with you making more of your church and your denomination and your own personal feelings than you make of Jesus. I'm not going to live with that. That's why. Every morning when I rise, I don't want your opinion. I want Jesus. When I come to church on Sunday morning, I will indulge your opinion, but I come for Jesus. And when I leave, I may have appreciated your opinion, 
But when I leave, I want to leave with Jesus. God forgive us.